Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education at Monash University and here we talk with researchers in and around the faculty about their current reading, writing and thinking. So welcome to another interview on our regular series of Meet the Education Researcher podcasts. My name is Neil Sow and I work in the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. And the aim of these recordings is simple. We spend 15 minutes or so getting to know what researchers in and around the faculty are currently up to. So today I'm joined by Dragan Gazovich, a recently arrived Professor of Learning Analytics in the faculty. Good morning, Dragan. Hello, Neil. Great to be with you. So first off, let's get you pigeonholed correctly. Your job title is learning analytics. I mean, how would you properly describe what you do? Uh, I play with data. I think that's probably the best thing to say about what I do. And when you talk about data, we are talking about many forms of data. People, students, when they enter university, very moment they want to enroll into university, they are leaving some data. And then when they are entering inside of the university, plenty of different types of technologies are being used today from classrooms where they are using different types of clickers. They're also using lots of Wi-Fi. They are also accessing different websites, using different types of video, multimedia, social media, etc. They All that leaves certain digital footprint. More recently, we are even playing with additional types of data. We're trying to measure something which is like physiological outputs that are generated by human bodies. So education has always been about data. But I guess you're talking about digital data. So what's different about the data that's digital? That's a really great question. I mean, the major difference is actually longitudinal nature of data. So learning analytics, but its very nature is longitudinal. You are creating lots of data points. In some cases, you're actually creating like a data point every microsecond. It depends on the data point and different types of instrumentation you may use, but that's really the major difference. So big data. Big data in many cases, yes. So, I mean, let's get your background straight. You are actually a computer scientist by training and skills. I mean, that could have taken you in a million different directions. So what was it about education that kind of piqued your interest? Yeah, I'm a computer scientist and I always loved computer programming. I mean, I, there's nothing easier than talk to a, to, to a computer program. They always listen and they always do what you want them to do. Uh, that's one thing. On the other hand, I was equally interested in all sorts of social sciences. Like, you know, I had lots of interest in psychology in particular and human learning. That was something that I was, I was equally attracted to. And over a period of time, I just kind of started to look into the issues that where I can actually get more about human learning, how I can understand that better. And over time, I was always maintaining small kind of research agenda and learning in kind of e-learning or educational technologies up until uh, 2010, when all of a sudden we kind of recognized learning analytics as a separate field and we are actually getting many things. The other critical thing is while in the past I was doing lots of different types of algorithms, different methods, lots of reasoning, machine learning and mm. all sorts of things. The level of impact was always fairly limited, what I would actually say. The impact in a way where I can affect people, affect, you know, experiences of people, experience maybe jobs of people, create some new jobs, etc. was fairly limited. I, was, I had a great number of citations, that was all, and I was recognized by me, my peers. But with learning analytics, things changed considerably. All of a sudden, the conversations we had, the outputs we were producing became relevant, not only for people in academia, but equally so in industry or different types of human governments. So you're here to make a difference. I think so. That's really one of the major things. And there's always been a kind of very close marriage between computer science and artificial intelligence and education. I and mean, the two go hand in hand for, for a long, long time. So, I mean... 
I'm very curious about the big questions then that you've identified in terms of education and learning that you're addressing. That, those are really kind of uh, hard uh, kind of issues to address. But some of these critical questions that we are these days looking into is uh, from the level of learning is the way how people are making decisions about their learning. Mm. That's really one of the most critical things. And then consequently, how those decisions are affecting them on a physiological level, on a cognitive level, on a social level. Those are kind of major uh, challenges or questions that we are trying to do. And consequently, obviously, how we can then visualize that. Because we know learning is invisible. It's a latent construct. We don't really know what and how it actually happens. But the thing is, with these type of data, we are getting lots of data points. And can we then build more robust models that can visualize for us what is happening there. But as well as describing and visualizing what's happening, are you also interested in kind of nudging people or changing behavior? Or is it, I mean, I'm quite interested in terms of how Absolutely. data would change decision-making. Absolutely. And I, I think in many cases, people uh, initially start with learning analytics by thinking that it's the best thing to kind of feed that data back directly to our learners and to provide different types of visual, beautiful charts and diagrams. Mm. I'm not really convinced that it's actually the right way to do things. What we actually are suggesting, what we are thinking to do in that process, and we are doing it, is that we need to really build in the literature, say, on feedback. What do we know about feedback? What is the right way to communicate certain information? Because in many cases, the way how some information, some charts can be presented can be completely detrimental to human learning or motivation, mm -hmm. or let's say. And rather, instead of that, you want to be kind of fairly um, kind of empathetic in the language you are using when you are generating your data. So data, in a way, are helping you to scale up and personalize feedback individuals are getting, and you can reach out to the masses. At the same time, you're still maintaining that kind of humane relationship. It's really interesting that you use, use the words personalize and humane. I'm really interested in terms of what data science and computational ways of thinking can bring to our understanding of what's usually seen to be very human, very social issues. That's also another really kind of uh, great question. If you go to some of the foundations that are related to, say, psychological understanding of learning, lots of that is really based on different types of self-report measures. Mm. Those measures are very static. And we also know from some of the literature in psychology, some of these self-reports are also susceptible to all sorts of biases. Absolutely, yeah. Right, you know, uh, self-selection biases, but then also kind of biases that we are not really talking about our actual experiences, rather we are talking about memories of our experiences. Or our ideal selves. A exactly, and millions of other things. What we are actually getting with analytics and different types of digital data due to their uh, longitudinal nature, rather than asking questions to reflect on who they are and what they do, which are, of course, important questions and can provide us additional interesting insights, we actually are talking about their realized intentions, mm -hmm. what they actually did, how they felt in particular time in terms of physiological responses or beyond those physiological responses, we can also even see how they externalize certain things to text, etc. But then what data science allows to do in this process is to process these huge amounts of data. They can get us insights into different types of patterns, sequential patterns or temporal patterns that are really hardly visible or possible by the use of conventional statistical methods, even if they are really super sophisticated. Yeah, so we've talked about data capture and processing and methods. I mean, we can't talk about method without really talking about theory as well. So I mean, what theories and approaches underpin what you've just described? In most of the work that I'm doing, we are primarily building on different types of theories that are uh, about metacognition and self-regulated learning. Uh -huh or kind of cognitive perspectives to learning. And in many cases, we are kind of trying to understand learning in terms of really what type of uh, uh, people operations are using, 
we are talking about cognitive or digital or physical types of operations to really kind of process certain information in a given context and also what kind of standards people are using to evaluate their decisions mm. as well as the products of their own learning. So it's really interesting that you keep saying the word we, 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 we. So I mean, is this a really interdisciplinary team-based approach? This isn't something you can just do and you do by your own. Oh, learning analytics by itself is completely interdisciplinary field. We even in many papers call it a bricolage field. Mm. And when you go to the learning field, to our major annual event, it's not really dominated by computer scientists. There are as many like educationalists as there are psychologists, sociologists, but interestingly also people who come from the very tech kind of end, mm. like, you know, Silicon Valley, like uh, people who are developing new sorts of technologies, but also many uh, decision makers. So university vice presidents are also very common. This year, uh, the conference is also trying to attract a really large number of uh, school principals. So it's a, in a very, in a very kind of, a good way, I think, fairly uh, diverse and multidisciplinary. But is it productive? How do you work together? How do you talk to each other? That's a process of really kind of trying to make your way through the process. Um, everybody has to put some effort. So for me, one of the key things is, although I'm a trained computer scientist and uh, in artificial intelligence, you can say, I had to spend like several years of reading primarily literature in educational psychology. And also I'm, I'm having you in some more outlets in a bit more kind of sociological literature. So that's, I have to put that effort. Yeah, yeah. And I can see that many computer scientists who are in that community, they are really kind of making that effort. But on the other hand as well, what we tried inside of that community is to provide different types of opportunities for people to get and to upscale with respect to data science. So there are plenty of different types of workshops and other opportunities where we don't expect from, a, say, an educationalist to become a data scientist like full-fledged uh, machine learner. But rather what we expect from them is to be able to formulate the questions yeah. so that they can make use of these useful technologies based on which these technologies can then be kind of uh, leveraged by computer scientists who can then work in teams with educationalists. Yeah, so I guess it was interesting you said computer scientists are making the effort, but I mean, social scientists and education researchers also need to kind of make the effort at least to be able to talk with. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's what you're doing at the moment. That's all really interesting. What are the big ideas on the horizon that you're currently thinking of? Where are you heading next? What's the next new big idea? Well, I think, I mean, in many cases, what, what we are thinking is about... Uh, lifelong personalized uh, learning and education pathways. I think that's one of the critical things is how can we create this uh, personal learning profile that I'm creating that will know things about me, like, for example, what I know and how I got to know. And, and then when I'm going to an, any new place, I can just kind of invoke my personal learning profile and then actually get a per fairly personalized experience. So they don't have to redo many things. At the same time, also can recognize all these little bits and pieces that I'm actually informally learning. That is not part of the formal system. Mm. I personally love to learn informally. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, my, that's kind of what I did. And most of the things in my life that I do are built on that kind of informal or kind of self-taught experience. And so how can we get and equip people with such kind of devices? Something that can also, when I say and turn it on, can record even this type of conversation, know what type of ideas I'm invoking or what I'm interested in, mm. how I'm actually involving, keep tracking my progression, and, and also over time give me also some nudges or connections and pointers to what other people I need to talk to, or especially in some cases where it's needed, what kind of formal certification I may need. So the lifelong and the life wide as well. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that's really, really interesting. Now, I just wanted to finish off with a few kind of inside baseball type questions about being an academic. And I'm, first of all, you've moved around the world. 
You've worked in Serbia and Canada, Scotland, Australia. I'm just really fascinated how you found these different places. I mean, are universities in those different countries absolutely the same and it's a global world? Or, I mean, are there specific academic cultures and differences between the different places that you've worked? Oh, there are some really striking differences between all these different countries. Obviously, I was a fairly junior uh, researcher when I was in Serbia. So I did all my education there from my undergrad to my PhD and then I moved to Canada. So Serbia, without much, without many really resources, there was a kind of post-war country when I just finished my uh, undergrad degree. And on the other hand, absolutely amazing enthusiasm. Really? That was just incredible. I mean, the amount of kind of people's will to do things, different types of projects without really any funding was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that time, we formed like a research group. And today, it, it's still available. We are like a re global research network. We call each other Canada. North American country, people are really self-governing their things. What I loved about Canada is very transparent. Yeah, yeah. You can't appoint any new academic staff member without the rest of academic staff to vote for that person. Uh, any kind of decisions about who you are going to appoint are made collectively. But there are small kind of downside, perhaps to downsides to that process. Well, it's really hard to change many things yeah, inside yeah, yeah. of the system. UK is, I'd say, fairly similar to Australia in many aspects. I, I'm still get. I'm I still wasn't going to ask of, you about Australia. Yeah, Australia, it's really hard to say, but it was kind of different in a way. And I also kind of moved to to Australia to the UK as a kind of more senior academic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. I, I loved, I mean, I lived, I kind of was in a school at the University of Edinburgh, School of Informatics, and also 50% in the School of Education, uh, where School of Informatics at least had a fairly North American culture as well. So oh, okay. that kind of transition for me was not that different. However, there was a significant cultural difference. I think uh, there was a bit of an Edinburgh thing, closed door policy versus Canadian open door policy. Uh, for many things like, you know, you would even have in Edinburgh some buildings like, for example, Mori House School of Education, doors would be automatically shut oh, after your, right? So you couldn't really, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you had to put an effort to keep your door so literally open. literally a closed door policy. Literally. literally I'm right? fascinated by little cultural differences like that and just like, yeah, yeah, it says a lot. I mean, one other, the final thing I wanted to ask you, actually, I'm really interested in looking at your biography. You've actually, you're not just an academic. You've actually started your own software companies. I mean, is, uh, is that side of your life completely separate from academia? I mean, how does being the next Mark Zuckerberg fit with the very slow pace of life with, uh, of universities? Yeah, and I don't know. I, if I would describe myself now, I would actually describe it that I have a fairly entrepreneurial uh, mm. kind of way of thinking. I love to do things now. If I have an idea now, I don't have patience nor willingness to wait somebody yeah. to tell me, oh, it's a good now time for you to do it as well. So I love to get things done. So yes, software companies basically kind of build on some of these ideas of lifelong learning profiles and some of these ideas that we are building on originates actually from some of the research that we did in late to, to 2000s, like 2009, 2011. We had a project in Europe that was funded by the European Commission. We generated some of these ideas and later on I joined up forces with colleagues like George Siemens, who is uh, behind Moon, the whole concept of MOOCs and ideas in Texas and Shane Dawson from UniSA in Adelaide. So it's a kind of interesting thing. A uh, bit of a challenge there is, of course, when you are an academic and you love your academic life as well is to run a business because, you know, everybody, each of those two jobs requires 24-7 yeah, commitment. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of a bit of a challenge that your business is not really growing at the speed as you actually may want. But that's also kind of a lesson for at least me, who is an academic, is 
uh, that we who comes from kind of computer science tradition and close work with PhD students, etc. That you need to kind of have more of your PhD students who are also involved into some of these ideas, who are really uh, willing to jump on board and run their companies. I've been fortunate in the past as well that some of my students really were very entrepreneurial and mm. set up some companies and went ahead with them. And so in a way that keep your, I let you kind of be chief scientist inside of this organization at the same time, you can keep still your academic head happy and kind of rewarded with all these academically exciting things I mean, that we're doing. It's a fascinating way of working and I'm sure mm. we're all going to have to get more entrepreneurial mm. in everything we do. So in some ways it's just a very kind of, you're ahead of the curve. Finally, finally, a very cheeky question. You've talked a lot about being a computer scientist and occasionally going, now you're in an education faculty now, so I'm, I'm always interested what other people think of us. What do people think of education researchers from outside of education research? I'm guessing it's not always very good. Different people think different things. I mean, in general, most of computer scientists don't think about anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> they really just think about their code yeah, and yeah. programs. And even like for whatever reason, our social skills are not necessarily something we are known by. But at the same time, there are some groups of people who are convinced uh, that uh, education schools are really good if you want to do something about human learning. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes they get surprised that there's not really much research going on with respect to human learning in schools <laughs> of education, right? So that's one thing. It's really interesting, actually, because we pride ourselves on knowing all about learning and we talk about learning right. all the time. But yeah, as you say, when you look at what's going on, much, a lot of the research is about teaching and classrooms and everything but learning. Yeah, precisely. And many people get really kind of surprised, mm. right, how nobody's really looking to human learning, but many things that are important for education, yet they are not in the core of it. Uh, culturally as well, I mean, I, I was fortunate at the University of Edinburgh to be affiliated with both schools. Uh, uh, school of Informatics and School of Education. Uh, start, there were really some big differences. Uh, school of Informatics is the top UK uh, computer science school. It had a research output which com um, which basically was bigger than the combined research output of second and third, and ranking like Cambridge and Warwick, I think, were second and third. Mm. Research was in the fabric of everything. Yet, on the kind of surface, you wouldn't really see any procedures, any forms or anything. All I had to do was to send an email to a portfolio manager. They would do it for you. And education, you would have all the structures in place. <laughs> everything was available. There, were, there was a single procedure for everything. But in terms of really kind of something happening and in change, it was fairly limited. Yeah. Yeah. And the overall impact was still fairly limited in that level. I think there's so much that education faculties can learn by looking at how other faculties do mm. research. Yeah, that's a fascinating note to end. Well, a kind of inspiring note to end on. I was going to say depressing, but I think inspiring. Inspiring because so, that tells us that there are plenty of opportunities that yeah. we can actually grow. Absolutely. Well, thanks ever so much for taking the time for talk. It's been really, really interesting. It's great to meet you and welcome to the faculty. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Neil. Pleasure to be here.